with that hunger in mind that we have for growing in God's Word, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, today we're only going to go through verse 18 because Hebrews 10, it's not a glass of strawberry milk kind of text. It's a chapter that is dense and thick. It is, it's a steak um, that we need to cut into and digest. And so we're going to save a little bit of that for kickoff Sunday next week. But Hebrews 10, the first part of the chapter, we'll go through verse 18, gets us started. And as we think about day after day, you'll hear that phrase within the text. We remember that it's Labor Day, and we think about the things that we do day after day after day. Things that we're used to, things that we don't even think about, other things that we're sick of doing day after day after day after day. Labor Day is a reminder to take a step back and to enjoy um, all of these good things um, and to have intentional rest. But as you hear the words day after day in the text today, I invite you to ask and wonder, is this, does this sound like a good thing or something that we need a break from? So as we dig into Hebrews 10, um, in just a moment we'll pray. I invite you to consider, this is a, this is a, a steak and potatoes kind of chapter but we'll do our best to move through it well today so that we can digest it and move on in the future. But before we do so, <clears throat> before the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Jesus, we give you thanks that sometimes you give us the refreshing and delicious strawberry milkshake. Other times you give us steak and potatoes. Lord, we thank you for the steak and potatoes of Hebrews chapter 10. We thank you for all the ways in which the Old Testament is mentioned here and brought up and the ways in which we see it more clearly with you, Jesus. And so as we study this passage in the New Testament, we ask that you open our hearts, that you open our minds for the ways in which we need to open our own lives to your word. We thank you for the gift of your word and that by your Holy Spirit, it is alive to us. And so may it be so. May it live within us today and all days. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And at the end of the reading of God's word, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful, I invite you to respond with thanks be to God. Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the, same by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all, day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine, if you will, that you are strapped down with debt. You are up to your eyeballs in what you owe to other people. And maybe you can, well, maybe you don't have to imagine this. Maybe it is you. Maybe you can imagine it because you were there at one point. Or maybe you've heard it talked about on a Dave Ramsey or a different show of just how we get stuck and essentially buried with debt. Imagine that you're that person that you're in that spot and that you're making payments every month but you're just drowning in it and you know it and so despite how much you pay you're not really ever making any progress you've got to go to work you've got to keep after it you've got to slave away but there's never anything that you're doing for your own good because you're just trying to not go further behind knowing you'll never actually make it ahead just for the debt that you have you're stuck or perhaps more accurately, we could say the debt that has you. But there's no progress that actually gets made. There's no freedom that is anywhere in sight because it's just a matter of making payment after payment and there's no progress that seems will ever actually get you free. Now, we use this analogy because that's in some ways the easiest way for us Americans in the 21st century to understand the Old Testament sacrificial system the way Hebrews is describing it today. Where they're pointing out that payments are made day after day after day, and animals are slaughtered until there is rivers of blood flowing away from the altar. And I always kind of wondered, who cleans that up? But the tabernacle was the place of sacrifice. Payments for sin were offered again and again, day after day, year after year, and yet we're told by the author in Hebrews that it was impossible for any of that to truly remove or take away sins, but rather it turned into an annual reminder of sins. Like having payments on a debt that you know is not going away, but every time you write the check or click the deposit button online, well, it's just a reminder of the debt that you have, the debt that you carry, that there's never any progress on. Sin, it's an unpayable debt. It has a high balance already, even if we think we're pretty good people. The terms have very, very high interest, and our income is simply too low to make a dent in the principal. Imagine that scenario. Imagine it as an analogy for where our sin would put us. 
And then imagine that after making all these payments years after years without ever seeing anything, our day after day labor seems like it's all for nothing because it's not for us. It's just paying on the debt that will never go away. Imagine then our great relief and excitement when Jesus shows up on the scene. Because Hebrews is all about trying to give us a good picture of who Jesus is and why Jesus mattered so much. So imagine if you're the one who's strapped down with debt, and once again, careful with the analogy, Jesus did not come to make us rich in earthly ways, but imagine within the sense of analogy that Jesus comes up, knows that you are drowning in debt, and Jesus is a high-rolling philanthropist who gets his kicks off of helping other people, who he thinks it's fun to cancel their debt and see them come to life. That is the picture of Jesus that we get from the Old Testament sacrificial system, payment after payment, day after day, an annual reminder of sins. And then we get Jesus who's like, you got debt? I can pay it. I can pay it off in full, in total. And that Jesus actually thinks that this is kind of fun. And we're grateful for his certain philanthropic sense that he has an enjoyment, getting his kicks off of getting people out of debt. And Jesus... It's one of those philanthropists who has all the capital in the world. In fact, all the capital in heaven and on earth. And so he knows, and he's letting you know, I will never go bankrupt. There is no amount of help to you that I can offer that will ever bankrupt me. And the other nice thing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't have thin skin. So he's not worried about giving a gift to you that other people might view as, well, Jesus just gave them a handout. Did they deserve all that grace and forgiveness? Jesus is not th so thin-skinned to be worried about what other people think of the gifts that he gives to you. And he's not worried about what you think of the gifts that he gives to other people. Jesus is a philanthropist of grace. And he's the only one with the capital to pay off the otherwise unpayable debt that we have. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's changing lives. And Hebrews, in comparing sacrificial systems that we might feel a little bit removed from, gives us this picture, that we are no longer in debt, that the balance is paid, and that we are free. And from that freedom, we can rebuild our lives. We can actually work for the things that we're hoping for. But there's some part of us that owes this, not debt in terms of indebtedness, but a debt of gratitude to Jesus that we kind of want to join him in the stuff he's doing. Because this forgiveness of debt seems like a lot more fun. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray. Now we've got to be careful once again with the analogy. Jesus' resurrection, his conquering of death and sin, was not about earthly wealth. In fact, Jesus has plenty of caution about earthly wealth. But financial realities of currency and debt, cash and assets, that's the easiest ways for us to understand what the difference is being made. That the payments that we make for sin, they were never going to pay anything off. Good works is not the currency that pays off sin. But rather, we needed Christ, our master philanthropist of grace, to show up, to interrupt our day-after-day day labors, our payment-after-payment payment towards our debt, to say, I'm going to cancel that, and I'm going to actually enjoy doing it. Jesus pays the debt off in the full, that we might live free of it. Now, this is really, really good news. This is 
the best news that we can be free. And yet, I wonder if some of us almost get too used to this. If the payment of Jesus, Jesus paying off our debt doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And there's some ways in which we might say, we're really not that bad of people. Or, you know what, Jesus, I actually was handling the debt just fine before you showed up on the scene. Or maybe our sin just doesn't seem like the biggest problem in life, that we don't think about the chasm separating us and God. And so it's like, you know, this wasn't the highest priority in life that Jesus took care of. That's the problem, and that's what Hebrews is trying to paint this picture of how big of a deal this is, that our appreciation goes deeper. And Jesus himself made this exact same point in Luke chapter 7. He was, in the host, he was being hosted by not such a great host, Simon the Pharisee. And in Luke 7, around verse, around verse 40, uh, Jesus knows what Simon is thinking because he sees this woman giving this lavish gift to Jesus. And Jesus, we're told in the text, I love this part, Jesus answered him, even though Simon hadn't said anything out loud. But Jesus answered him. He answered his thoughts. He answered his judgment. He answered the ways in which he was looking down on other people. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Polite response. Pharisees are usually remarkably polite. Two people, says Jesus, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, like a bazillion dollars, and other 50, a medium-sized mortgage. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Jesus says you have judged correctly that the one forgiven of more will love the forgiver more. And also, it seems to be a little bit of a pun putting the screws to Simon, saying you have judged correctly on this, but you judged incorrectly when you passed judgment on the gifts of grace given to others. Jesus answers us and says, I am here to forgive your debts, that you might also forgive your debtors. We're not going to keep doing the payments day after day, again and again, that are impossible to make any progress, just annual reminders of debt. But rather, in verse 10, we're going to focus in on Jesus Christ forgiving it once and for all. That Jesus, at the altar and as the altar, seeks to forgive our debts. And sin is the unpayable debt that we simply don't have the currency for. So how does this change us, though? Other than to celebrate, to have gratitude, to think about what Christ has done for us, should lead us, as Jesus told Simon the Pharisee, you have judged correctly, it should lead us to this greater and deeper love of Christ, to revel and marvel at what God has done for us through Christ our Lord. But Jesus isn't even done. Because there's a tension that we're holding, isn't it? And, and Hebrews mentions this perfectly in verse 18. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice is no longer necessary. Except the one sacrifice in verse 14 is mentioned. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has made perfect forever. Completed action. Done with continued action into the future. Made perfect forever. That's us. In Christ, we are made perfect forever. Debt-free. Paid off. 
beautiful picture of our philanthropist of grace's great work. Made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Being made holy, as Ben mentioned as well in Confession Assurance, that sounds like a work in progress. So what are we? Are we perfect forever, or are we being made holy? And as is often the case with Jesus and in the Bible, yes and to both. We are made perfect forever, and we are being made holy. Imagine that Jesus, after he paid off this great debt, was like, hey, you know what? I know that even though the balance is paid down to zero, you are still going to mess up from time to time. You're still going to make mistakes. There's still going to be sin. There's still going to be errors. There's still going to be times where you acted out of character and you simply did not mean to. There's still going to be times where old habits come back to haunt you and you're going to mess up. And so Jesus, not being so thin-skinned that he's worried about what other people will think, Jesus also gives you his credit card, okay? And Jesus gives you the credit card and says, you know what? You're still going to need this. I know we paid the balance down to zero, but every now and then, you're still going to sin. You're still going to lose your way. And when you do, you don't have the currency to pay for those mistakes. So use my card. I already paid off your debt, and here's my card. So, I mean, swipe, insert, tap, whatever you need to do. I need you to use this card for your sins. What kind of response does that bring? Is it like, holy cow, I got Jesus' credit card. There is no credit limit on this, so I can do whatever I want because I got the pay-for-your-sins credit card. So I can do whatever I want because I don't really need to care about my sins anymore. Hopefully not. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6.1 says, What then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. That's not how we're meant to use this card. But rather, Jesus is saying, you're going to need this every now and then but I'm going to keep the balance at zero. Every now and then, there's going to be something that is going to surprise you on the statement where you're going to say, there's a little bit of interest here that I forgot about because maybe something that was done quite a while ago has an echoing effect into the future. Maybe some old mistakes come back to haunt us. And Jesus says, you don't have the currency for it, but I do. You can't pay that down. You can't pay that off. Use my card. Jesus has the currency for it. And hopefully what this builds within us is a greater gratitude that we, as Simon the Pharisee judged correctly, can love Christ even more. And that we're not inspired to go on a sin-spending spree to use that card as much as we can. But actually that we hope we use it less and less and less. We're never going to not need it. We will never not need Jesus. But our hope is that we don't feel like we're racking up a huge balance on our sin account that we're keeping that debt low and that someday when we meet Jesus face to face, we can cut up the card because we need it no longer and the balance is already at zero. No more annual reminders of sins, but debt paid. And with debt paid, great gratitude that Jesus Christ has made us perfect forever, once and for all, and that he loves us as we continue to be made holy. So, hold on to that card, and hopefully we find that through God's grace and the fancy process that we call sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus, we maybe need that card a little bit less. Jesus doesn't seem to get as annoyed with people for the sins they committed as much as when they try to lie about the balance that they have, when they try to say it's not that big of a deal. And so, in the weekly 
sometimes chore of confession and assurance. We take a look at our balance sheets. We take a look at our spending habits of the sin credit card and say, I keep making a recurring purchase. Maybe God needs to interrupt that too so that my day after day is more like following Jesus and less like following my own desires that lead me astray. Hold on to the card, folks, and don't feel guilty about the fact that Jesus gave it to you because he doesn't want you to feel guilty about his payment for sin credit card. But also, marvel at the fact that our Lord has a very high credit score, an unlimited balance that he can pay for, and he's glad that you have it. And he's excited when you can trade that card in for a crown instead. Let's pray. Jesus, we look at our lives and we know that we're far from perfect. And yet we read that for by one sacrifice you have made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Help us as the work in progress that we are to also buy into this debt-free of sin vision that you have given us. To know that we have been made perfect by you and to be like you. So God, we come to you with all of that gratitude, with all of our longing, and even with a greater awareness and perhaps some regret over our recurring sin purchases. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a philanthropist of grace and that you get your kicks, you get your joy out of seeing us go debt-free, sin-free with our slate wiped clean so that we can live a fuller version of our own lives and in the fullest version of our lives, we find ourselves actually living for you and to be like you. So in this, we, we thank you. We praise you and we honor your name. And we find ourselves loving you all the more. In your name we pray, O Christ. Amen.